Coming up, the real reason why people get drunk on Purim and other ideas that will surprise you. Welcome, everybody, to At Home in Jerusalem, the podcast on Aish.com. I'm Heather Dean, and this is the place where each week a well-known Torah scholar drops by for a visit and shares important insights from the Torah that will make home life better. And this week I'm joined by my guest, Rabbi Dr. David Gottlieb, and we will be speaking about Purim. Rabbi Dr. David Gottlieb is the author of four books, most recently, Reason to Believe, and a senior faculty member at Or Sameach in Jerusalem. Additionally, Rabbi Gottlieb is a popular speaker internationally on a wide variety of topics, which include ethics, biblical criticism, the relevance of religion, and the Jewish tradition's roles for men and women. You can listen to many of Rabbi Gottlieb's lectures for free or order his books and contact him to speak in your community by visiting his website, davidgottlieb.com. Dot com. That's D-O-V-I-D-G-O-T-T-L-I-E-B dot com. Welcome back to At Home in Jerusalem, Rabbi Dr. David Gottlieb. Thank you for the opportunity. Why is Purim considered a festival, like a day we have a mitzvah to be joyous and happy? We're actually commanded to have a festive meal on Purim. We are celebrating a relief from oppression and danger. Uh, very important, the Meshachachma points out, to notice that the day before Purim was the day of the battle, mm-hmm. where we were able to rid ourselves of our enemies. And the day afterwards was the day in which they celebrated the new freedom from oppression and from, from danger. We don't celebrate the day of the battle. We do not celebrate the downfall of our enemies. We celebrate the relief that we have from the pressure and the danger that they put us under. And the Jewish tradition repeats historical events which are of crucial importance, like the Seder that we have on the night of Pesach. Purim is the date on which the relief was uh, was achieved, and that's the date that we celebrate. Okay, now, speaking of celebration, there's there's a mitzvah to get drunk. How can there be a mitzvah to get drunk? And I'm wondering if we're talking tipsy or the expression falling down drunk. What's, what is this all about? Well, actually, there's a difference of opinion between the Ashkenazi authorities and the Sephardi authorities. The Mechabed Neshochon Orach, who represents the Sephardim, says you have to get drunk. The Ramoh, who represents the Ashkenazim, says that you should drink a little more than your normal, uh, your normal amount and then have a nap. Uh, sometimes on Purim, Ashkenazim become honorary Sephardim for the day. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the idea here is really very deep. Uh, we live in a world where the duality of the human being, the soul and the body, creates a tension, and it's our struggle to try to bring the body in line with the soul. That happens 363 days a year. On Yom Kippur, our restrictions put the body on back burner. We don't experience the body as a, as a disturbance to our spiritual focus. On Purim, we take the opposite tack, those who have the mitzvah to get drunk, When you get drunk, the soul's control of the body no longer applies, and the body expresses itself without the normal restrictions. And the point of it, the point, a point of it is Mm -hmm. that when you make the effort to bring the body under the control of the soul, there are two possible outcomes. One is you're very strict, you have a lot of power of control, and you exercise it, and you make sure the body stays in line. The other possibility is that the body absorbs some of the holiness of the soul, the body itself learns to want what the soul wants and on its own will desire 
to do what is spiritual, what is holy and what is right. How could you tell the difference? If a person gets drunk and thereby he show, he cuts out the control of the, of the soul and then the body gets to express itself on its own. If the body expresses itself with love, love of God and love of man and love of Torah and love of mitzvot, and if you've ever seen great people who got drunk on Purim, you see that. Mm-hmm. They're just pouring out sometimes in ways that they wouldn't allow themselves to express Russia yeshiva to their to their students express their love for them and their appreciation of them uh, it's a very beautiful experience and i speaking mm. as an ashkenazi my rabbi zatzal told us not to get drunk would say mm. if your body's going to express your love of god love of torah and love of jews then get drunk but mm. if not don't get drunk. Interesting, interesting. You know, there's a there's also something very enigmatic about uh, the Megillah of Esther, the scroll of Esther. Why doesn't God's name appear in the Megillah? The miracle of Purim is at the end of the miracles that we have classically in the in the Tanakh in the Bible, and it is a miracle of God expressing Himself in a way that's subtly entwined in normal everyday events. Mm-hmm. If you live through the events, the great celebration of Ahasuerus and the party and then getting rid of his queen because she rebelled and getting a new queen, all of that would look like normal oriental politics having no direction at all. At the end of the Megillah, when Esther is there to save the Jewish people, you look back and you say, oh, so those events at the beginning weren't happenstance. They were also orchestrated by God. Here's where God expresses himself only to those who are willing to analyze, to sit and see trends, to see the underlying themes that aren't open and obvious. This isn't like the crossing of the Red Sea. God's spirit is in the book, but his name isn't obvious because you have to look to try to find it. Well, thank you for uh, enlightening us about that. Um, one of the realities, though, of, uh, of that can happen at any time of the year, unfortunately, are that there are people who are going through a tough time and who might not naturally be happy people. So how can someone who's experiencing a kind of personal challenge or stress maximize their Purim experience? I think that it goes hand in hand with maximizing their ability to deal with the problem at the other times during the year. Mm-hmm. One thing to keep in mind, and one should study this, is that the patriarchs and the matriarchs and the great Jewish sages throughout the generations suffered a lot. They had a lot to deal with. And they dealt with it. It means, number one, suffering doesn't mean you're a failure. It doesn't mean God is distant from you. It doesn't mean necessarily that God is punishing you. The suffering itself can be a sign that you are assigned to do something extremely important. You have a contribution to make to the world, and it's going to require a great deal of effort. And it can be a sign of God's closeness to you, not a sign of God's distance from you. If then, like King David said, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm not afraid, not because nothing will happen. King David suffered a lot. But I'm not going to be afraid because you're with me. It's the feeling that you're with me that enables me to withstand that kind of pressure during the rest of the year. Purim is a time to celebrate the fact that he's with you. Very nice. And uh, with the time we have remaining, let's talk about the arch villain of the Purim narrative, Haman. He's a descendant of Amalek. And I'm wondering if you could shed some light on the mission of Amalek, Haman's mission, and how there can be a mitzvah to even do genocide to a descendant of Amalek. The Rambam... Maimonides says in chapter 6 of the uh, laws of kings and their wars, 
We do not make a war against any person without first asking him if he wants to accept appropriate values, appropriate mitzvahs. And he names Amalek and the seven nations of the, of the land of Israel by name. So there is no mitzvah of genocide. That's just a very foreign concept. And the Ravid agrees, and Lech Mishnah says that Rashi agrees, only he says you don't have to offer, but if they want peace under appropriate conditions, we have to give it to them. Nothing in God's world was made by God to be destroyed. Yes, free will can put something in a position where it needs to be destroyed, like worshiping an idol, but nothing that God made. And with free will, you can recover it. So that an, an Amalekite can do tshuva. The Talmud tells us that the descendants of Homan taught Torah in B'nai Brak. We can accept them as converts. So we have to realize that the forces of evil in our environment are ones that we have to try to co-opt in serving God, like serving him with both of your natural inclinations, inclination for good, inclination for bad. And when opposition is necessary, it's only because the leaders of the generation tell us to do that. That's nothing that we can judge on our own. Sometimes opposition is necessary, but it's under their leadership that that decision is made. Wow. Okay, great. Thank you so much for speaking with us today about Purim, Rabbi Dr. David Gottlieb. Thank you for having me. And there are many excellent articles and videos about the Festival of Purim in the special Purim section on H.com. So check them out. And thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.